It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we continue the roundtables now with a return guest. He was on last year to talk about the state of the Jets and what he thought the Jets should do going into 2020. And he's back. Weekend editor over at HotAir.com, Mr. Jazz Shaw. Jazz, thanks for coming back on the show, man. My pleasure, Scott. Been a long time. Yeah, been a long time and a whole year of crazy stuff happening with the New York Jets. Since the last time we talked, there has been an insane amount of change, and I assume that there's going to be plenty of change coming up in the offseason. So before we get to what we think the Jets should do in 2020, let's talk about what happened in 2019. Where are you at after year one of Adam Gase? <sighs> you know, I, I I couldn't pull the trigger on saying we need to get rid of the guy, but um, there, there's just no denying that there are big challenges that have to be fixed. So we came into this year, into this season, um, and spent a buttload of money, uh, in free agency, you know, didn't do terrible. I, I was actually very optimistic. I was hopeful. They made some exciting acquisitions. I thought we were really well positioned for this season and looking over the schedule, like the first, uh, nine games, except for, having to play uh, New England twice, I, I thought that looked like a very doable schedule. I was expecting we might come out of the first half of the season, maybe like at six and two, maybe not Super Bowl, maybe not even AFC, you know, East title, but certainly playoff contenders. And then we went one and seven uh, in the first eight, you know, and I know people are saying, Hey, don't focus on that. We went six and two for the last eight, but you can't really just look at the second half of the season and say, oh, well, that's an indicator of things to come. So, yeah, there were big problems. I understood we got plagued by injuries, but everybody does. You have to have a little depth in your roster, you know, and there were just – there's several areas that we were – it was just ugly. And even some of the games we won were, were shocking wins, but there were still problems. So – I don't know. I, it certainly failed to meet my expectations because I once again foolishly allowed myself to believe that the Jets were ready to go back to the playoffs. And yeah, it just didn't happen. So what do you think the biggest disappointment from the season was? I guess I would split that in two. One of it was our offensive line, uh, the front line on the offense, uh, just not good. Um, and that ties over to, I think, some poor coaching decisions. One of the biggest ones that hit me week after week with a couple of bright exceptions was the way they used, or in some cases didn't use Le'Veon Bell, but 
his challenge even when he was getting the ball quite and sometimes he did not get the ball enough and you had to wonder are you just using him for a decoy and things like that um, but even when he did get a lot of touches I, I think his problems were compounded like I said by the offensive line because nobody's opening holes for the guy uh, and Darnold finished with the passer rating in the 80s I think low to mid 80s and uh, I, I think he did not get enough protection for somebody of his limited experience. I mean, with a couple more seasons, he might be what everybody hopes hoped he was going to be. But we, we suffered a lot because of the offensive line, and uh, there there were big disappointments there. Um, you see, we they, we were so weak at cornerback. Uh, was there ever a worse acquisition than Johnson? You know, <laughs> I mean that. That turned out to be a total dud. So I, I think defensively, things looked good. I mean, for a long time throughout the season, uh, the Jets had one of the higher-rated defenses in the league, you know. But it, most of our problems were on the offensive side of the ball. And if you want to go up to the 10,000-foot level, I think maybe it's time for Woody to either come back from England and do his job or sell the team to somebody else. I want to get back to that thought in a little bit because I want to ask you your thoughts on ownership overall. But first, you mentioned Sam Darnold. Where are you at with him? As you may recall, I was not a huge Sam Darnold fan to start with. I thought he had been oversold, overbilled, and I I, I really was disappointed we didn't keep a stronger backup quarterback just in case he didn't pan out. Maybe he needed a little more time. Now he's had a little more time, and... He, he has still has plenty of bad days where he doesn't seem to have the vision to read the field, particularly when he gets, you know, thrown up against, uh, you know, complex defenses that are shifting a lot. I think that comes with time, but I think he did a lot better than the first season when he wasn't out with mono, I should specify, you know, thanks Sam. But uh, you know, when, when he was in there and, and on a roll, particularly in the second half of the season, I think he showed a lot of promise, and I wouldn't bail out on him. I mean, he, we, we've put all our eggs in that basket. He's our franchise quarterback. So, you know, uh, stick with it. So fair to say that your opinion has changed for the better on him a little bit? Yeah, I wouldn't even say a little bit. Uh, I, I was very dubious at the end of the first season, you know. But I thought this season th- there was a lot of improvement, and if he'd had more support, if he had a better front line, I – you know, I, I think he could have really shown and had a considerably higher passer rate. I mean, not that his passer rating was horrible. I mean, mid-80s isn't, you know, awful. But uh, I, I think he could have done better with more support. But I, I think they made a good adjustment when the coach started to kind of crack down on him a little bit and say, look, these are the plays that we need to work on in practice. You know, don't be freestyling so much and – Tried, I think we tried to make him a little too comfortable. Like, well, let's make this your offense. Well, actually, it's the offensive coordinator's offense. You know, and everybody's got to work together. So I, I think they got him more under control, particularly in the second half of the season. He stayed more focused, had a base set of plays and a few options that he worked on all the time. And he started making some impressive passes and using better judgment on the field most of the time, you know, keeping an eye on the defense. So, yeah, I, I, I think he's considerably improved and, I definitely have a more positive attitude about him. So you're positive on Darnold, not so positive on Gase. What are your feelings on Joe Douglas? Coin toss. Um, I, I'm not negative on that either. 
I just I, I feel like the whole season contained so many rolling disasters, not all of which were uh, within our control. That pointing the finger entirely at anybody is not only impossible but unfair. I mean, if you like, I said before, if you look at the list of injuries that we had to overcome, and some of these are questions that are going to carry over to next season. You know, Demarius uh, Thomas, uh, Dixon, and we don't know if we're going to wind up having, uh, you know, Mosley, uh, Anunua, um, they're, they're looking kind of shaky. So, yeah, we, we were overcoming a lot. And, yeah, I don't think we can, you know, point the finger of blame specifically at any one person. So I'm, I'm not looking, unless it's all the way at the top with the ownership, I, I'm not sitting here going, oh, we need to make some big major personnel changes in, in coaching before next year, otherwise we're going to have the same disaster. No, I don't see it that way. I think we have the talent, I, I think adjustments need to be made. But uh, no, I, I don't think we can say that, oh, we got one real dud that we got to get rid of. What about ownership? You talked about it before with Woody either coming back or selling the team. Do you think that as long as the Johnsons own this team, there's going to be reason for pessimism? I think as long as the Johnsons own this team and they don't appear to be in there working with Gase, uh, working with upper management, taking part in some of the big decisions that if you have like an absentee landlord, well, sometimes you get rats in the apartment, right? You know, um, I, I just, I never get the impression that there's enough attention being paid. And I think everybody at the top of the food chain has to be at the table working together, you know, knocking ideas around and, I don't know if Woody's not interested, then, you know, why keep the team? We know that you're much higher on Sam Darnold now than you were last year. You don't want Gase fired just yet, but you're a little skeptical of him. But we know that there are moves that need to be made personnel-wise. What do you think the Jets need to do in the offseason? Okay, uh, we're hearing a lot of discussion about some things that they're considering doing. I'll just say this, first of all, that they probably shouldn't. We keep hearing maybe they're going to trade Bell. Maybe we're going to drop Robbie Anderson. Maybe we're going to drop Adams. I, I we went through this last off season where some of the really and the and the year before that where some of the really promising talent, yeah, they're pricey, but they're like, well, maybe we should trade them away and open up the salary cap, you know, and we'll get some new people that aren't as big a name. It, I, I don't think those are people you get rid of. Um, and like I already said, you, you don't get rid of Sam Darnold because we've just got too much inve- invested. Um, whether it's free agency or the draft, I think I already said, uh, first of all, we've got to address the cornerback situation. Uh, we definitely need a really powerful, you know, new pickup for cornerback. And as I also already mentioned, the, the front line was, was just, the front offensive line was just not good. Um, we need some, some bigger guys, whether we have to draft guys and bring them along or maybe a combination of that. There's a couple of guys out there that I've seen scouting reports on that are looking at making moves that are coming to the end of their contracts. You know, I, if we just get a bigger, more solid experienced offensive line, I think that solves half of our problems going there next year. Um, yeah. Donald's got to be protected better. I already said that, uh, you know, and particularly somebody that can open up a running lane for Le'Veon Bell, assuming we don't stupidly trade him away. Um, that, that's 90% of it. On defense, um, 
we do need like some better corner rushers, pass rushers. Uh, we might be losing. I, I don't know if this is true or not. You're probably up on it more than me. We might be losing like Clowney and Fowler um, because their contracts are up, and I haven't heard any details about whether they're getting another offer, things like that. And that if we have one weak spot on the defense, it's getting you know a good rushing uh, to really put more pressure on the opposing quarterbacks, which we just did not see enough of. Uh, most of the defense was really solid. But I think those are the areas I would focus on both in free agency. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what your first pick is in the draft. The best cornerbacks that are out there that I've seen in the mock drafts are not going to be around by the 11th round. So I don't know who we'll get. We, I think maybe they might want to look at starting by just drafting some, some big talented guys that are just coming to the league and aren't played with injuries already. Uh, for the offensive line and some rushers. I I think that's most of the focus. I want you to put on your prediction hat here for a second, Jazz. Looking ahead, a lot of people have said that they believe that the Patriots dynasty is over and that the AFC East is now up for grabs. We saw an improved Bills squad. We saw what the Jets did this year. The Dolphins are still in rebuild mode, and they may end up getting their quarterback in the draft this year. And it looks like things are starting to move in the right direction for them. Looking ahead to this conversation that we're going to have at this time next year, what are we going to be saying about the AFC East? How will those four teams have done? I will be heavily surprised if the AFC East isn't still weaker than most of the rest of (laughs) at least one of the other divisions. But in terms of how you phrased the question initially, I do think it's going to be more up for grabs. New England is not dead. They are not gone. They were never a one trick pony. Um, whether they have their all-star magic man quarterback, uh, you know, back for another season or not, uh, he clearly seems to be past his prime, but still old and wily. And they do have some other talent they can draw on if they don't have the best quarterback in the league. There's a lot of other talent on that team. So, no, I don't think they're down and out, but will they be as dominant? No, if you're asking me to predict, I think a change has definitely happened. And I think they come down off the pinnacle of the mountain this coming season. And the Bills shocked me. I don't know if they shocked everybody, but they were way stronger performers than I expected. And like I said, I don't get too excited, but the second half of the Jets season, I think we saw the potential of what the Jets could do. I I don't think it would be hard to picture Miami suddenly jumping up and being way up in the mix. But I do think it is kind of wide open. I don't think it's a given that next year uh, the Patriots are going to have the AFC East. I think both the Jets and the Bills could have a shot at it. and I, Yeah, I think it's going to be more competitive. He's the weekend editor over at HotAir.com. Glad he could come on the roundtable again this year. Jazz Shaw, thanks so much for hopping on. Really appreciate it. For people that want to get a hold of you, maybe interact with you on social media and check out your work, how can they do that? Basically, just I'm on Twitter every day, most of the day. So it's at Jazz Shaw, J A Z Z S H A W, or go to hotair.com. You know, it's not, I very rarely write about sports except on Sundays during the season. So I don't do a lot of Jets stuff there. It's mostly politics and social issues and things like that. But uh, that's pretty much it. I, I don't go on Facebook or Instagram or any of the other stuff. 
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next up on the round table, I wanted to talk to somebody that's become a bit of a divisive character on Jets Twitter. I guess that's a fair thing to say. And he's somebody whose football opinions I agree with a lot, but I guess he presents them in a lot stronger way and tends to, how shall I say this, not really be diplomatic about the way that he presents his opinions. Luke Grant. Luke, what's going on, man? Hey, Scott. How you going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Man, this time difference is crazy. You're 18 hours ahead in Australia, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's 5 p.m. over here and 113 degrees, so we're battling away, but uh, no, we're making it work. It's like you moved to Arizona. I know it is, right? Thank goodness I haven't, though. <laughs> so let's get into your background a little bit, because a lot of people are going to be asking, why is this guy who was born and raised and lives in Australia not only such a huge football fan, but a Jets fan? So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so my background's in rugby league, which is, I guess you guys call it rugby over there. Uh, have a background in coaching and analytics, and and that's kind of what I, I'm passionate about. And, and when I was younger... About 15 or 16, I wanted to get into into the NFL. It kind of just captured my attention. I fell in love with it. And I didn't want to be one of those guys who was a bandwagon fan and kind of just jumped on the back of something good. So it was around the time that Rex was hired and Mark Sanchez was drafted in 2008. And I, I wanted to go with that fresh, clean slate and, uh, and became a Jets fan. And I've regretted it for, uh, for about 11 years. 
I was going to say, if you wanted to be the opposite of a bandwagon fan, you certainly picked the right team, Luke. <laughs> no, I've done a pretty good job. Yeah, they're, uh, they're struggling, but we love them anyway. Yeah, we do. Sometimes to our detriment. In fact, a lot of times to our detriment. So tell me a little bit about your background in coaching, because a lot of people have questioned that they don't understand exactly what the degree of that background is. This way, people will have more of a window into your line of thinking. As far as the coaching aspect, I guess we have something called the NRL, which is the National Rugby League over here. It's the equivalent of the NFL. So in kind of the the junior program of that, we don't have a collegiate system. We have an under 21s and under 20s, and that's our pathway over here. So I've coached quite a few teams in, in that division and um, I've kind of been working my way up. Um, so that's kind of the coaching side of it. And then I've just dibbled in, in analytics as well. And it's just something I enjoy and, and putting it all together, it, uh, it creates a, a pretty interesting picture. So that's my coaching background. It's nothing NFL or American football related, but uh, but coaching nonetheless. So now let's get to the fun part here and talk about the Jets. Let's start with Sam Darnold. What did you think of his progression from 2018 to 2019? Did he make as much of a jump as you were expecting? I think in the offseason and, and in the preseason, we were hoping for a greater jump. I think... 99% of Jets fans will agree with that. I think I was personally, I don't like to put numbers onto things, but 32 touchdowns, 10 to 12 interceptions, that's something I was hoping for. He obviously ran into the mono earlier in the year. There was offensive line issues throughout the whole season. They crippled him and he made some bad decisions in games too, but he moved forward. He progressed, not the jump that I would have, or I'm sure you would have liked either, but uh, we definitely saw Sam still trending in the right direction. His decision-making can still improve, but mechanically he was okay. His touch and, and, and ball placement was really good, and I think we're still going to look at a quarterback who's going to be top 10 in the league in, in two or three years. What did you think of the work Adam Gase did with him? Do you feel like there was enough progress made between the two? No, I mean, I think any progress Sam made this year was was fairly independent of Adam Gase. I think, if anything, he was working against his strengths. We didn't see a lot of Sam outside the pocket. And if we did, there were very strict designed rollouts in the red zone and cut the field in half. I don't think it really accentuated what Sam did well, but that's probably not uncommon with a young quarterback and a a new head coach. But look, I think we both agree that Adam isn't the guy, but he certainly didn't help out Sam that much uh, this season. You just sit on something that's been a pretty popular topic, the idea that Adam Gase is not the guy. Now, we know that Adam Gase does have his defenders, but it sure seems like the majority of Jets fans are not exactly on the Adam Gase bandwagon. Tell me a little bit about what you saw from Gase in 2019 that made you sour on him. I think the frustrating thing for me is the excuses and people looking at the record. I don't have an issue with Adam Gase as the head coach of the Jets because of the 7-9 and record or because of the injuries. For me, it's the type of person he is, the lack of man management. He's a poor leader. He's run into these issues everywhere he's coached. We know in Miami, he had trouble with guys like Ndamukong Sue. Even Gore didn't like him. He's one of the most personable guys in the NFL. He had issues with Lev Bell. He had issues with Jamal, with, with Joe Douglas around that, um, that trade deadline period. Uh, there were just constantly issues with Assembly and Enunwa, and even greater than the offensive issues where we struggled in DVOA and all of those things. It was more the locker room and the cultural issues. That's where I have the biggest issue with Adam Gase, and I think that's where we saw him struggle again in 2019. 
I think you and I have talked about this, but Adam Gase's offense is not exactly top notch. I don't think it ever has been, but I think no. you could at least make the case that if it's executed properly, it could be mediocre with the right talent. And the conversation you and I had was surrounding that. And the question becomes, can Sam Darnold be good enough to overcome the ceiling of mediocre coaching from Adam Gase? Do you think that he can be? I think he can be. I think if you look at the preseason and the way the offense looked when it had Anunwa and Herndon out of it, I think I expected a lot of 11 personnel and the ability to run the ball effectively out of that with Herndon and Anunwa, who's a great blocker as well. We were kind of robbed of that. And that's an excuse I will make for Adam Gase that he probably wasn't running the personnel groupings he'd hoped to. But I still think Sam can succeed. And I think when we get some guys back on the field, that will definitely help. But he'll continue to make, make you know leaps and bounds and Sam's got a lot of talent. He's a young guy. He's still only 22 years old. I think he'll succeed whether Adam's the head coach here or not. It's just going to be more difficult for him to do it without him here. What kind of pieces do you think they need to put around him? I mean, it starts up front. We've talked about this ad nauseum, but the line this year was terrible. The Jets don't have an average starter there. And then you're looking for a bigger body receiver. I know there's been talk about guys like Emmanuel Sanders in free agency. There are a lot of small bodies. We already have those, you know, prototypical slot guys with Crowder who had a pretty good 2019. They need a big receiver. They need some some serious help up front. You need to look at three starters up front uh, coming out of the draft and free agency. And fortunately for us, Joe Douglas, you know, has cut his teeth there and has come from a couple of organizations who have really valued the trenches. And I think that's going to be helpful in, in putting those pieces around Sam. How optimistic are you that Joe Douglas can make the right moves in free agency in the draft? And we'll get to the draft in a couple of months when it's closer to draft time because it doesn't really make sense to break down the draft until after free agency is over and you have a better idea of what team needs are. But how optimistic are you that Joe Douglas is the right man for the job? I think if we're looking at Joe Douglas independently, I'd be really confident. The fact that Adam Gase is there, and I'm not sure exactly what the weight of his voice is, it concerns me a lot, to be honest. Um, look, I think Joe's learned from guys like Ozzie Newsom, and, and he has a really good pedigree. I just touched on it before, the value that Baltimore and Philly put in the offensive and defensive lines fill me with confidence because that's what this team needs to build around Sam. So I have the utmost confidence in Joe Douglas. What concerns me is that relationship with Gase, how much of a voice will he have in the room when it comes to free agency? Is Gase going to have a, a bunch of his his guys that he's coached around the league like we saw with, with Demarius Thomas? I'm not sure, and that's where it concerns me, but you're looking at Joe Douglas. You know, I have, I have no doubts about him, and I think he was the right hire, but just concerned about that relationship with Adam Gase. We know which positions you think they need to add, but are there any specific players that you're looking at that you think would be wise additions in free agency or even in a trade in the offseason? I think when you're looking at free agency, you're looking for, for young players at impact positions. And I think that's something that I had an issue with the Jets last year, even though they got a couple of really elite talents, they weren't at impact positions. I'm going to contradict myself a little bit and say that Brandon Sheriff's the guy they have to, to go out hard if he, if he escapes Washington, hopefully for him and, and for our sake he does. I think he'd be a perfect stepping stone towards building that right side of the line. Obviously, hopefully, as you said, we will touch on the draft later, but hopefully they end up with a tackle in the draft as well. I think he'd be a really nice piece. And then defensively, they're going to need a corner. There's not a lot of not a lot of corner depth out there. There's a little bit at the top, but they need to re-sign Poole. They need to make sure he was back. He had a phenomenal season this year. And then whether it's one of the Eagles guys like a like a Derby or Sidney Jones, they need 
they need a corner that they can take a risk on and hopefully has some upside. But I think they're the two positions that, that Joe will look to upgrade the most in free agency. Which guys internally would you like to see kept and which guys would you say bye-bye to? As far as restricted and unrestricted free agents, look, I, I've been pretty bullish the last couple of months that I think Robbie needs to come back. I don't like the idea of taking pieces away from your young quarterback, even if you are building him a line. For me, this isn't a pick one when you can have both. Uh, I think they need to bring back Paul, as I just mentioned. He was a top three slot in the in the league this year. And then I think Jenkins needs to come back as well. Uh, he's, you know, a six to eight sack guy on the edge who is pretty good in run contain. And you don't want to create too many more holes when you haven't got a talented roster. The only other guy outside of them that I'd consider is Beecham in that swing swing tackle kind of role. He can start at left tackle again. And, and we saw him play right a little bit in Pittsburgh as a younger player. He's not an ideal starter. He's pretty poor in the run game, but you know, I think he's a guy that's serviceable and it's tough to fill five offensive line spots in free agency in the draft. So they're probably going to need to look at bringing him back. Got to ask you this since, of course, your Twitter bio lists you as the international ambassador for Quinn and Williams. What do you think of his rookie season? Look, I think we can all admit that it wasn't the impact we were hoping for. There were a few factors in there, starting with the high ankle sprain he picked up and a couple of injuries. And then obviously the usage. Greg Williams used Quinnen in a way that was beneficial for the team, not Quinnen Williams' individual production. So we saw him running a lot of stunts and outside contains, and he wasn't asked to one gap penetrate and shoot into the backfield, which is what he did so well at Alabama in 2018. I don't think that means he's not going to be a great player. He was just asked to do his role in the scheme. And we saw in a couple of games in the latter part of the year against Cincy and Miami, when he was given the opportunity to, to, to penetrate and to be aggressive, he really made his impact and pushed the pocket. Look, I love Quinnen as much as you did. And I know a lot of guys did on Twitter and it wasn't the season we were hoping for, but I still have, you know, I have high hopes for Quinnen. I think he's going to be an elite talent inside in the Jets defense in the next five to 10 years. Luke, you put out a draft guide every year, and I want to have you back on closer to the draft, but just as a little sneak preview, I know that you've started to look at a few of the prospects. Anybody you particularly like, anyone you're really high on so far in the early goings, or is there anybody that you think might be a little overrated? Yeah, so at the moment, mostly because of the Jets' needs, I've dived pretty heavily into the offensive line to start with. You know, we're still three or four months out, so I've got a lot of work to do, but looking at a lot of those top four or five guys... Obviously, Thomas is is an athletic freak. He's a big guy who's going to project well at left tackle. Uh, the tape I love the most out of the top three guys was uh, was Tristan Wirfs. I think he's just such a solid, solid right tackle. I love his mobility and athleticism in the open field, his ability to get to the second level, the way he manipulates his body in the run game to open up lanes. I was really impressed with him. And then on the contrary, I think I was a little a little disappointed with Will's tape, the Alabama tackle. I think... He's going to be a, mid, a mid-range right tackle in the NFL, and that's fantastic. But do I want that at 11? I'm not sure. I prefer the other two, but we'll see how the draft shakes out uh, when it comes to the end of April. I thought it was interesting that you told me that when you were watching Will's tape, there was another player that kept standing out to you on Alabama. Yeah, I mean, obviously you see Judy flash occasionally and things like that, but it was Ruggs that caught my attention for three straight games, just his athleticism and his explosiveness. He wears 11, but I saw a lot of guys like Brandon Cooks and Godwin, and, and maybe it's because I've got a simple mind, but he just kept flashing at me. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's a bit of a reach at 11. I know from a talent perspective, he's not. But is he a guy who can carry your receiving core? I'm not sure. But as I you know, get a little more into the tape, I'm sure I'll figure that out. But at the moment, yeah, Ruggs definitely excites me as a prospect. 
You can love him, you can hate him, you can agree with him, you can disagree with him, but he's always willing to stick by his opinions, and he's always interesting. Luke Grant, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Glad we could work this out with this crazy time difference in Australia. For anybody that's not following you on Twitter or that hasn't been checking out your draft guides, why don't you go ahead and let them know how they can follow you and how they can pick up your draft guide when it's going to be available. And like I said, I want to have you back on close to the draft so we can talk more about it. No, I appreciate you having me on, Scott. I'm uh, at Luke Grant 7 on Twitter. When it comes to draft time, I'll start you know, throwing out some, some snippets and, and showing people how they can buy it. Last year, it was all on PayPal. So I'm sure it'll be something similar this year. Um, but no, I would love everyone to check it out. And, and thanks for the support, Scott. And uh, hope to see you soon around April. We'll definitely talk again before the draft. I always love talking to you about prospects. So we'll have to have a long chat here on the podcast before the draft comes, probably sometime around April. In the meantime, though, make sure you're following Luke on Twitter. And if you missed any of the podcasts from the last couple of days, I encourage you to check them out. Matt Stablakowski made his last appearance on the podcast yesterday as he has now left the Jets beat. He is leaving the world of football behind him. But before he did, he came back on one last time to talk about what he thought of the Jets in 2019 and what he thinks they should do in 2020. On Wednesday, we delved into part four of our long look back at the Rex Ryan years with Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Some great stories there from Manish. Some of them he's never told before. The day before that, John Grella, former communications director for the Tampa Bay Bucks, one of my favorite people to talk to about football, especially the Jets, joined the roundtable. On Monday, it was Michael Nania with part three of the Sam Darnold project as he went back and watched every single play, every single snap of Sam Darnold's career in the NFL so far. All 26 games, he graded each game. We go over exactly why he gave each game the grade that he did compared to PFF. He's got a whole color-coded chart explaining his system, and we go over it bit by bit. We went through games 7 through 9 of the 2018 season this week, and we'll go through the remainder of the 2018 season next week and then get into the 2019 season. And over the weekend, if you missed it, two really fun mailbags, as always, with the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. If you like the show and want to help out in a way that won't cost you anything and won't take you much time, go ahead and give us a five-star review on iTunes. You can do the same for Joe Caparoso and the Turn on the Jets podcast as well. As I said, won't cost you anything. It's not going to take you much time, but it does help us out a lot, so we really appreciate it. And it does a lot to allow us to continue to bring you the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. And for that, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.